Well, I'd like just to read a few verses from Psalm 108 as we start our service together. Psalm 108 says, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to worship you this evening as a, a great God, a loving God, a faithful God. And we come to worship you because you, you are God, because you love us and you've shown your love to us in so many ways, but not least through sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And so we come and we want to exalt you in our worship, in our praise. We want to be a people who don't just come here to worship, but worship you with our lives. And as we go from here, we want to be people who see your glory all over the earth. So make us a people who desire your glory to be spread. Make us a missionary church, Lord, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to ask Andy to come up now to find out a little bit more about him. He's going to give a little presentation in a minute about um, FIC. But um, do you to think, first of all, just to find out a bit about him as, as a person? Um, I think this one is on as well. It's been good sharing with uh, him and Kath uh, this afternoon. Um, I think our rabbit particularly enjoyed having him. I um, won't tell you how she expressed her appreciation of Andy, but um, don't look at his trousers. Um, Andy, just tell us first of all, um, how did you come to faith and how did you, how, what was your journey into ministry? Was it a, did it start an early age or tell us a little bit about your, your beginnings? Well, in one sense, if anyone had earned enough points to go to heaven, uh, in the eyes of many, I, I probably did because my granddad was a minister uh, and my dad was a minister. Um, so that probably puts you in good standing, it seems. Um, but when I was a young kid, um, I... It was a Sunday school anniversary, May the 31st, and this will give my age away some, to some degree, um, 1962. And I remember hearing, I was six years old, and I heard this guy speaking about Jesus and the need to accept him as friend. And I just realised that that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I remember going back to my dad and saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want him as my friend. And dad chatted with me in there in the front room of our house in Ilford. Uh, I asked Jesus to be my my friend and my Lord and my Saviour. And you may say, that's just a six-year-old and, you know, so much pressure that you'd have got. Psychologically, you could probably explain that away in 101 different ways. But I know that at that moment in time, God, in his grace and mercy, dealt very kindly with a a six-year-old and his simple faith and simply asking Jesus to be his Lord and Saviour. And I knew I'd become a Christian. And over a period of time, obviously, the Lord confirms it. I think one way uh, is it happens intellectually. So uh, as you, you know, develop in studies and everything, I eventually did uh, history at university and so on. You're always asking the questions. Is it real? Does it stand up to investigation? Um, and it did, and it did with spades, if I could say. You know, absolutely, it was great. The more you pushed, the more you dug, the more you realized this is absolutely reliable. And it not only stood up to the test of intellectual study, but it stood up to the test of what I would call real life, of emotion. 
um, and uh, going through uh, losses, um, uh, early death of, uh, of my father, uh, and stuff like that, and you realise he is the God who is in control. Um, when it talks about a peace that passes understanding, it, it, it's real and it's true. So those things are all confirmed in a number of ways, um, uh, knowing Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Why I became a minister was, when I was young, I just, you, when you're young, you think, I want my life to count for something. So what's the most important thing I could do? What's the best thing that I could invest my life in? And for me, that was, well, I can't think of anything better than preaching the gospel. What, what is there better in the world than declaring the good news of Jesus Christ? And so right from a very early age, I was determined that's what I wanted to do, because I didn't want to waste my life. And uh, I sort of tried to target everything that I did to that end. Could I just say in passing, just in case what I've just said makes me sound super spiritual and you with your career in banking or IT rubbish. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying for me, um, the Lord was impressing on me that was how I should be using my time uh, and my gifts. He will do that in different ways to different people. We serve him in a whole variety of ways and that's really cool and that's really good and that's really appropriate. But for me, uh, early age, he impressed upon me, yeah, I want you in ministry. So then... Everything I did was sort of shaped towards um, that end, um, university and some post-grad stuff, and I worked, I, I lived a really sort of racy fast life, you know, it was, it was pretty dangerous. I was a librarian by profession, <laughs> and uh, I became librarian to the housebound and disabled in Wandsworth, Wandsworth Borough Council for five years, which was great. So all my academic training went into how many large print Mills and Boone romances can you carry uh, into uh, some of the homes that I, I visited. Uh, but that was great. During that period of time, I was lay pastor of a church called Summerstown Mission, uh, which just became Summerstown Mission Evangelical Church. I was called to be assistant pastor to a guy called Bev Savage in Plumstead in southeast London. And then in January 1988, I became uh, pastor, slight sole uh, staff member at that point, uh, of a church in inner city Bristol called Kensington Baptist Church. I was there for 24 years. Uh, that took us to two years ago, and then I uh, was asked to take on the role that I'm doing now as mission director for the FIC. And I'm sure you've said that you were there for 24 years in Bristol. You must have enjoyed the ministry. Mm -hmm. um, what made you accept the invitation to join FIC when presumably you've had a great time at Kensington? Um, was it a tough decision to make? Or, um, in one sense, it was the easiest decision. In another sense, it was the hardest decision. We loved Kensington. It was, our, it was our joy. The Lord had been so good to us, blessed us in so many ways in that church. Such deep friendships with so many people. And they were our family. So when I was approached to do this, you know, your heart goes, and particularly for Kath, I think for Kath, it was even harder. She was a pastor's wife, so deeply embedded in that, and then suddenly sort of coming out of that. Um, so desperately missed the church family and the day-to-day -day involvement. But equally, we just knew it was of God. We just, there's a sense the timing is right. And there was a sense in which I knew for, for Kensington to keep moving on, it needed someone else to uh, come in. We'd grown a fairly large staff by that time. It needed someone who was going to come with fresh vision, and I'm so delighted that my successor is a guy called Simon Price. He was uh, assistant to Peter Baker in the Highfields. And uh, we were able to overlap for a period of time. And then 
uh, I, as it were, withdrew and Simon has been pastoring that church wonderfully well for the last couple of years. Great, and finally before I let you say a bit more about this IC, um, what are the challenges you face personally uh, in your role at, at the FIC and how can we be praying for you particularly? My role is to help churches plant churches. I have no authority to do that. There are some organisations where you can say to someone, I'm telling you to go to such a location and plant a church. I can't do that. FIEC is just what it says on the tin. It's a fellowship of churches. It's not a denomination. It's just independent churches. We believe we should be independent when we look at the Bible, but we also believe we should be interdependent. And I'll say a bit more uh, about that in a moment or two. So my job is to encourage independent churches to see and have a vision for planting churches and, and really reaching out with the gospel in the most effective ways possible. We talk a lot about church planting because church planting is one of the most effective ways possible, but it's not just limited to church planting. The main thing is that every one of us has opportunities to, to live for Jesus Christ and to speak for Jesus Christ, just expecting that lives that we live for his praise and glory are going to prompt questions and we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. So, in my job, there's a feeling of, I can't do anything, you know, I've got no authority, I've got no power, it is just influence. Um, but God in his goodness allows us to meet with folks and to talk about various church plants and to try and get them in place. So some of you will be aware of the church plant that's happening in Oxford, Trinity Oxford, with Peter Comont. Uh, again, that was very exciting to just be in at the start of that. We're just in the process of uh, being alongside a, a plant that's going into Manchester uh, a couple of years back. There was a church plant that went into Denby uh, in North Wales, uh, and so it goes. A number of our churches are, are planting churches, and it's just lovely to see. So let's come before the Lord now in prayer and wait upon him. Take a moment to be still in God's presence. Borrowing the prayer from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you for the quietness of the evening. We thank you for the blessing of your day, even for those who have been busy. Yet, it is a blessing to be part of a community of people who truly love and affirm one another and see our differences as a source of strength and stimulus. And surely, Lord, when we pray like this, we are all the more enriched because of one another. So it's our prayer tonight that you would increase our faith. 
that we may embrace everything that is your will. That the mountain of difficulty may be removed. Lord, would you increase our faith that we may never become impatient or frustrated. That we may find you in every situation. Lord, would you increase our faith that we may trust you in seeming failure and defeat. So that you would strengthen our faith that we might endure our seeing you who are visible only to the eye of faith. We pray and we thank you for the vision that you've given to local churches and through the auspices of the FIEC. Thank you for the directors, and we've seen pictures, and many of us know them. And for Andy and Kathy, as they've come here today. And we thank you for them, for giving themselves to us, in, not only in, in proclamation, but in listening and sharing. And Lord, these are great days of challenge and opportunity. We can but ask that you will continue, as we were thinking this morning, to build your church. And Lord, you'll rightly place us in different situations whereby, perhaps even in the greater darkness or doubts, that your light would shine all the more clearly. So would you hear our prayers for the homes that we come from, the families that we have, the places of work, the colleagues that we know, the pressures that seem unrelenting. We ask that a day in your house would be not a day of frustration or exhaustion, but of renewal with greater clarity and purpose to go into just one more week in the classroom, in the office, in the workplace. Lord, surely it's a great grace that we can come before you. So, as we come to you with sitting here in this refurbished building, and already throughout this weekend, the real sense of affirmation and blessing and privilege handing on to another generation. We ask that you would make this place to be a, like a city set on a hill, a refuge center, a place of respite, of healing, of relationship, of openness, and authentic love. So we would even now want to renew the covenant that we have made this weekend. You are a covenant God and you are always faithful and your promises of grace are steadfast and sure. 
finally in our praying, we ask now, even now, you'd open our hearts to the influence of your Spirit, that we may delight in the fellowship of your people. So strengthen our wills by the work of your Spirit that we may be faithful in the promises we have made to you and indeed to each other. We can do this through Jesus, in whose cross and resurrection you have established this new covenant. Take us, Lord, all that we are, all that we have, and Lead us, keep us in step with your Spirit. And Lord, finally, all our unspoken prayers we bring to you, commending ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight's reading is from Matthew. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, 
Some who are standing here will not taste death, death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. It's been an enormous privilege uh, to be with you on this day. I really do consider it a privilege. I think it's so exciting when um, a church like yourselves takes this step of faith and you have uh, this wonderful building. But can I just say right at the outset of what I want to say this evening, that this, this isn't a church. I hope you get that, but this isn't a church. Uh, I'm sorry to dis- disappoint some of you here, but you need to know that. This isn't a church. Oh, it's a church building, but it's not a church. And there's all the difference in the world. You see, the church, by definition, is people. The word literally means those who've been called out, those who've been called together. Ecclesia in the Greek. You see, here's the church, the people, and here's the building that they use to meet together in. And when you get that then it transforms the way that you think about this building, this lovely building that you're celebrating today. You see, it means this is all about what God wants rather than creating a a cosy social club for the benefit of your members. You see, it was God who called people out of the empty and destructive ways of life that they were in. He called them to be followers of his son Jesus. And it's God who calls them together for mutual help, for teaching, for encouragement. And what unites the church is not to do with the colour of their skin. You're not here on that basis. You're not here on the basis of your cultural preference. You're not here on the basis of your political allegiance. It is to do with the fact that you recognise that you are God-rejecting rebels who've been forgiven, who've been made new by a wonderfully gracious God. And he calls you together, and this building is just a resource to help you. You see, that's why biblical evangelism is not primarily about getting sinners into a building. It's about launching believers into their communities. See, you meet here on a Sunday to hear from the Bible and to respond gladly to God. And the effect of that, as you come and you understand the word as it is preached, is to go out into your neighbors, uh, neighborhoods and workplaces and you show and you share the wonderful news of Jesus that has so transformed your lives. You see, that's where the work is done. That's where gospel work is done, wherever the village is. Forgive me if I'm pointing into some empty fields. But you get what I'm saying. Wherever you live, friends, that's where the work is done, not primarily here. The primary purpose of the church is never to get folk into a building, but to get believers out of it. Now, of course, having said that, the church here will use this building wisely as a good resource for serving their community. It's a great facility you've got here. Wonderful facility. 
for a whole range of activities in this coming week. It's going to be very special for you as you have these sort of welcome times, these open times, and, and the community will come in and see how they might use these facilities. And as the love of God grips and shapes believers here, you'll want to do everything you can to do good to others. That's what Christians do. We're called upon to do good to others. And part of that is using this resource so that you can bless and do good to your community. And to get a proper handle on this challenge, we're going to go back to the passage that we looked at uh, this morning. It wasn't a mistake that we were reading from that uh, passage there in Matthew 16. And I want us to notice three things uh, that emerge. I was particularly helped by John Piper when I was looking uh, at this. Uh, let's have a look at, first of all, Christ's certain promise. Christ's certain promise. We find it there in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, do you get it? The whole emphasis in this passage is upon who Jesus really is. It's not about Peter. It's about the divine authority of Jesus Christ who could go on to say that he was the one who was going to build his church. And what I want to underline here is the triumphant authority of this promise that Jesus is making. You see, gospel mission is not ultimately dependent upon human initiative or human wisdom or human perseverance. It's ultimately dependent on the power and the wisdom and the faithfulness of the risen and living Christ to keep his promise. Jesus promised this. Is it up to you to keep his promise? No, he will keep his promise, maybe through you. I will build my church, Jesus said. Not you will build my church. Not missionaries will build my church. Not Pastors will build my church, but Jesus said, I will build my church. You see, that's why Paul was so jealous to give uh, this glory to Jesus. When Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 15, 18, he says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. You see, Paul says, it's not me who's building the church, it's Christ who accomplished it. It's Christ who brought about the obedience of the peoples. Yes, missionaries are crucial. Pastors and elders are crucial. Obedient Christians are crucial. But let me put it like this. We are not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. I will build my church. One person plants, another person waters. But it's Christ who gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. I will plant, I will build my church. It is Christ who builds the church. 
You see, church planting, church establishing is a supernatural work. If it is not, then it's not the church that gets built. All you build is a human organisation. If it's you who's building it, then what you've got is a human edifice. But if it is Jesus Christ who is building the church, then what you get is a supernatural work to the glory of King Jesus. That's why Matthew ended his gospel in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 19, as he did, where uh, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You see, Jesus said, I have authority to do it. I have authority over all the powers of darkness. I have authority over death and hell, over governments. And I will do it. I will build my church. So go, I will be with you. You see, the Christ who rules earth and heaven says, I will build my church. I don't know for some of you here, do you hear God's call in that on your life? Do you, do you want to pursue something absolutely certain? There, there are some jobs that you might get called into, you're not quite sure if you're going to make it. Maybe that's the, the case with some of you. Maybe you're in IT, maybe you're in banking, maybe you're in business, and you're not quite sure if it's going to succeed. And, and you think long and hard before you invest the rest of your life in that particular project. But can I tell you this? If you want to give yourself to something which is absolutely certain, absolutely invincible, it is this. It is building the church of Christ because Jesus is going to do it and his promise is absolutely sure and certain. And nothing done for Christ is ever done in vain. Christ's certain promise, I will build my church, get that. But then secondly in this passage I notice Christ's glorious purpose. Not just his promise, but his glorious purpose. You see, my second point is that Christ has an unwavering commitment to gather his church from all the peoples of the world. This is wonderful. Not just Westerners or white or red or black or yellow people, but all peoples, every shade, every language, every tribe. This is plain from Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. It's plain from Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. It's plain from Romans 15.11 where Paul quotes Psalm 117.1. He writes, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And it's plain from those, that famous verse, Revelation 5.9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we need to say this evening that Christ has a commitment to gather a church from all the peoples of the world. Not with sword, not with bullet, but with the spirit and with the words. You see, the big issue facing the world today, facing the nations today, is this question. Who is Jesus? And will we trust him and honour him for who he really is? Is. And people today give the same wrong answer to this question that some Jews gave in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 14. Did you notice when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, they're saying, he's just one of the prophets. He's not the Son of God. 
He's not the crucified and risen redeemer of fallen man. He's not the creator of the universe. And they won't bow down to him. And they won't confess that Jesus is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. You see, that is why missions is absolutely necessary. That is why people must hear about King Jesus and must be brought to his authority and kingship. As Jesus said in John 3:36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That is the world in which we live. If people do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, God's wrath remains on them. We must tell them, or as Paul puts it in Romans 10:14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Christ will build his church, but he will do it through the hearing of the gospel of Christ. He will do it through the word that is carried by human ambassadors like us. As we live out his grace day by day, and as we earn those opportunities to respond to the questions of our friends. My friends, at times I think we've got evangelism wrong. Some of you think evangelism means having to do strange and alien things. You know, I've got to stand up and I've got to say stuff in weird ways. No, no, no. Praise God for evangelists. They, they do that sort of stuff and they love it. Not all of us are evangelists, but what God does call us upon to do is to live those deliciously different lives. You may say, but, but I'm so quiet and timid and, hey, God made you as you are. Praise God for that. Just live a life for Jesus. And pray that he will give you an opportunity to respond to him. Because, in fact, the only verses we get on personal evangelism, are there, they are in Colossians and they're in Peter, and it's, it's always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. That's, that's your responsibility. You live such a life for Jesus where you are. You do good. You show grace. You show mercy. Live for Jesus in every way. And I, I tell you this, in the sovereignty of God, you will get asked, what makes you tick? Why are you doing this? And then there is the opportunity to speak for Jesus. Be ready for that. That is what you are called upon to do. I'm not asking you to do something which is fearfully unnatural. I'm asking you to live for Jesus and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Okay, Christ's glorious purpose. He is going to save people of every tribe, every language. It is a wonderful, wonderful purpose. But then I must conclude thirdly by looking at Christ's radical path. Christ's radical path. You see, Christ's radical way of winning the lost, it is not by physical violence and and coercion. We hear too much of that these days amongst some religions. But Christ's radical way of winning the lost is by the death of himself and by the death of his people. You see, the gates of Hades will not remain standing. They will be unlocked, but they will be unlocked from the inside. Have another look at uh, at the second half of verse 18. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, what are these gates of Hades? The gates of Hades are the gates of death. See, Hades is the place of the dead in Jewish thought. The gates of Hades are the gates that make death look powerful and secure. But Jesus says, these gates will not stop me from rescuing people from death. But how will he do it? 
Well, he tells us in verse 21. See, after he makes it plain that he is the Christ and the Son of God and that all authority belongs to him in the universe and that he has power over death, he says this. It says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Do you see, it's as it were, Jesus is saying he will open the doors of Hades from the inside. He gets in by dying. He gets out by resurrection. And now the gates are his. Revelation 1, verse 18. Jesus, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see, it's as it were, the keys were kept on the inside. That's why he went in. And when he came out, he brought the keys with him. Now he will build his church and death will not be able to hold on to those that Christ wills to make his own. And what about us? How, how do we figure in. Well he tells us in verses 24 to 25 Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will find it You see to follow Jesus means to join him on that Calvary road that leads to death and then in fact out of death. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Lose it to find it. Die so that you might live. So how is it that uh, we're going to win the nations? How is it that peoples will be won from all the people groups on the earth? We do what he did. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We die with him and we live with him by faith. So what does that mean for me? How does that work out in everyday living? The words can sound very religious, very cliched. Well, well, look at the contrast that Jesus gives in verses 25 to 26. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, the opposite of dying with Jesus is living for the world. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Jesus posts these up. You can't do both. You either die, as it were, with Jesus, or you live for the world. You have a decision to make. Either you are willing to follow Jesus absolutely and without reservation, or you are driven by the world's agenda and shaped by it with its temporary pleasures and with its tawdry prizes. It is one or the other. Either your eyes are fixed on the glory of Christ, or they are focused on the satisfaction of self. For here are the unambiguous words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And friends, this is where the call begins for each one of us. See, Jesus will build his church. He is going to gather in everyone that he is determined to save. 
He, he will build his church, that is absolutely sure, that is absolutely certain. And that church is going to be built from every people group on the face of this planet. And Jesus will do it, but he will do it through us. He will do it through his people, people who are determined to live for his glory. People who are choosing to deny the agenda of this world and say, no, I'm going to do whatever Jesus requires. It means a death to self. It means I don't care what others think about me. It means that my highest goal is not that promotion, is not that house. My highest goal is the glory and honour of Jesus Christ. And I say to you, Lord Jesus, use me however you will. That's the call. It's all well and good to come to church and sit here and to enjoy it. And, and you will enjoy church. You will enjoy this. This is glorious. This is wonderful. The provision you have here. You're a very blessed church. You have some great pastors here. Really great guys who, who are honoured probably more widely than you know. You are blessed. But, but brothers and sisters, the call is upon your life. What will you do? Will you be involved with Christ in the building of his church, the calling of his people? Will you live for him? Will you determine that as you go home tonight, you're going to say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. Shape my life, control my thoughts. Lord God, I want Jesus to shine through every single area of who I am and what I do. As those of us who have jobs, tomorrow morning when I go into work, I, I, I want not to be some weirdo, but I just want to show the love of Jesus. I want to try and bless people. I want to be good to them. And I, I want to do that with honesty and integrity and, and with purity because I want to live for Jesus. I want to die for self. I want to live for him because in that way he's going to build his church. In that way people are going to say, what makes you tick? What, what's different about you? And in that way you're going to be able to tell them the story. You know, it's great to have events in this place where maybe you'll get great gospel evangelists and, and they will speak and, and, and you can say, oh yeah, I must bring my friends in to do that. Could I say, the reality is most folks are not saved because they have come into a church building to hear a speaker. Most folks who come to saving faith, <coughs> excuse me, in Jesus Christ are because they see it in your life. Because they see Jesus in your life. Don't sit here thinking that the work is going to be done by professionals. You live for Jesus Christ where you are and you speak of him whenever you get the opportunity. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And he will. Praise him for what's doing here. But Lord, please, would you add many others, many others in Long Crendon, many others in surrounding villages, many others who are good and decent people, but who are lost for all eternity because they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. You're part of it. You, the church, you're part of that. God help you to be the people that God calls you to be. Let's pray. Father, we, we long to be the people that you call us to be. Lord, forgive us for so often relying on others, relying on pastors, evangelists, missionaries, organisations. Even now, Lord, the danger of relying upon a really great building and relying on all the activities. Father, thank you for this building. Thank you that it can be used in so many ways to bless the community. But Father, help us to recognise our responsibility to, to live for you. To surrender every motive and agenda to you. 
to let the glory of Jesus shine through us. Lord, not in some sort of weird prudish way, but in just those natural overflowing acts of love and mercy and grace. Lord, even tomorrow, Lord, please, would you give us opportunities then to answer the questions as they are asked. For the praise of King Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.